everybody as always you're listening to the ASSP healthcare practice specialties health beat podcast and simultaneously you're listening to the association for occupational health professionals in healthcare caring for healthcare professionals podcast and so um, as usual I'm Corey Worden I'm for ASSP I'm the professional development chair for the healthcare practice and then for AOHP I'm the um, professional development chair for the organization as, as well as the current region two director but I'll be moving out of that role here in a few months time so we got a lot of good upcoming changes all of which are going to lead up to the national conference which is in September for AOHP and in June for ASSP so if anybody's ever interested in learning more about the organizations always feel free to let us know and we're we're always happy to to talk about it we got a lot of opportunities for articles if you want to write for uh, webinars if you want to teach and and of course podcasts if you want to just have a conversation with us that's recorded and played back for the whole world um so there's a lot of that going on and um that kind of brings us to today so you may have noticed over the last few months we've been a little bit radio silent uh, our last episode was uh, published back in January and there, there's a couple reasons for that is number one is that um, obviously there's, there's a lot of stuff going on professionally you know we've been working through the last gasps of the COVID-19 pandemic you know officially even though we're going to deal with airborne diseases for the rest of our lives and forever as long as humanity's on the earth but the actual COVID-19 national emergency kind of wrapped up on May 11th of this year, 2023. Um, but we've also been dealing with a lot of other things such as a continual, just horrific line of situations with, with workplace violence and, and active shooters across the country. And then also a lot of other things that we've been dealing with um, more locally, such as rewriting our entire safety manual and, and a lot of other things. So there's been no shortage of of work to do and then on top of that of course there's also the ever-present situation where we're always kind of living right on the cusp of burnout and that's of course professional but then it's also there's always a lot of personal things going on and then we got ever-changing weather conditions and we've got all kinds of national situations and then you know of course the political landscape is a whole different thing that i don't even want to get into but all of those things kind of segue us into what we're going to talk about today which is mental health and burnout and all the factors that lead to those things so that's going to be of course anything that happens in the workplace anything that happens in society how those things affect us as far as our emotions and our mental well-being and then how we are able to deal with those things whether it's a, a workplace conflict or whether we you know don't agree with our supervisor or whether we're dealing with traumatic situations and potential catastrophe, which uh, pretty much anybody that's worked in healthcare has dealt with that for the last three years in particular, but it's just ongoing. And so now more than ever, of course, it's been a, a good time to figure out a good sustainable way to deal with those things. So we're going to talk about that today. We're going to get into how these things tend to tend to pop up and how they affect us. And then more importantly is some of the resources and tools we have to deal with it, whether it be personal wellness and mindfulness and ways to better better proactively cope with these things, these kind of like distressors, or, or the professional tools, you know, with things like like our HR partners and our employee assistance programs and all of those things that we have at our at our um, I don't want to say at our disposal, but you know, they're there for us. So we're able to we're able to um, find allies and find people that are that are here here to help and they, they want to see everybody succeed and be able to continue because you know we're definitely you know at the point in history where we certainly don't want to lose anybody whether it's people that want to walk away from the from the career field you know whether it's safety or healthcare in general and we definitely don't want to lose anybody to anything you know worse than that whether it be um, 
something like burnout or even the worst case, you know, which would be something like suicide. So we're going to kind of get into that. And we've got two fantastic guests today. Um, today we've got uh, Simone Olivier, if you remember, she has been on a couple of times. She was on our podcast a while back about mindfulness and, and wellness. She was talking about her her work with her, her nonprofit um, where they do Tai Chi and all different kinds of programs here in, in the city of Houston, Texas. And then she also did a webinar for us on the same topic, which was so well received that the AOA, I'm sorry, ASSP wrote an article about it uh, for the ASSP um, Professional Safety Journal. So we're definitely glad to have her back. And then we got a first time guest, which is Melanie Walter. And Melanie is a HR professional and she's definitely one of my one of my favorite people to work with. She's been with us through all the roller coaster of the last several years and she's a tremendous asset to our safety committee and knows HR inside now and we're we're glad to have her here as well. So we're gonna get into it then and I'm gonna quit talking so much. So to get it started, um, if I could ask each of you to give kind of a quick intro, if you want to just tell our listeners, like, you know, who you are, what, um, what, what, what kind of work you do, um, any background, whether education, certifications, anything that you want to, you know, put out there, like your little, you know, one or two minute elevator pitch as to, you know, your, your personal resume, anything you want to add or anything you don't want to add, it's up to you. Um, Melanie, why don't we start with you, please? Sure, absolutely. So, of course, thank you, Corey, for inviting me. I I certainly appreciate the opportunity. Um, So I have been in HR for 16 years. Um, I've started back at J.P. Morgan Chase years ago as a small HR baby and grew up to be a HR business partner of sorts at the city of Houston. That would be the equivalent name uh, there. But um, from there, I went on and took another opportunity at, to be a recruiter. Although I had done it in the past, I, it came to a certain point in my career where I said, you know what, I can take a step back and it's okay to do that. And sometimes you just have to tell yourself that, speaking of mindfulness and just kind of being aware of where you are um, in your career and um, what that will do for you. But I enjoy showing people the way. I enjoy um, showing people how what the policies, procedures are, just whatever it is to help people at the end of the day. That is my goal, to get you the help or the service that you need. Um, I have Three kids. I know. I, <laughs> I don't know how much information to share, but I've got three kids and a husband, and we we just love Houston. So um, that's pretty much it about me. Awesome. That's fantastic. Cool. Um, well, yeah, we're definitely definitely glad to have you here. And um, I know from you know, if anything, from our working together, that you're you're definitely a subject matter expert. Um, so. That's going to be great. All right. Um, Simone, how about yourself? Yes. Thank you, Corey, again, for inviting me as well, uh, inviting me back. Um, it's always such a pleasure and such a, a fun and relaxing experience. Um, so my name is Simone Olivier. I'm the founder of Blue Dragon Tai Chi. I've been a business owner for about 11 years now. Um, in movement. I, um, I actually have a bachelor's of science in engineering, um, but uh, after the birth of my son, I decided to go out, venture on my own, be my own boss, and, uh, and have been in the mindfulness movement industry for 11 years now. Um, and so I started in yoga and moved into Tai Chi and martial arts and eventually became an ordained Taoist priest. And, um, and I'm, yeah, I'm also a mom and a wife as well. So, you know, trying to balance all of life along with the rest of everyone else. And, uh, yeah, I think that's it. Awesome. That's fantastic. I definitely, definitely appreciate having you here. Um, I know that um, the, you know, of course we we've worked together on on other podcasts and, and webinars and everything. But I know that the first time I heard about your 
you know, your, your business was actually, you know, your husband had talked about it where he was telling me about, you know, all the benefits of everything that you do with when you're doing, when you do Tai Chi in the park and everything. And we always thought that was just really, really good and beneficial. So, um, as far as people that, you know, work in safety or, or healthcare in general, it's, it's definitely, definitely added value for sure. So that kind of, kind of brings us to, to the main point here. So we're talking about, you know, mental health and, and psychological safety and wellness, which psychological safety is kind of like the buzzword these days in, in the safety community where it, over the years, you know, we've dealt with things that are more like acutely traumatic. So they'll have like crit critical incident stress debriefings, which are part of the critical incident stress management um, programs from the fire service and things of that nature. But as of the last several years, psychological safety as a whole has really become much more at the forefront. And that's, of course, in addition to a lot of wellness programs, which are also have been promoted up through the, you know, through the layers of visibility for the last several, you know, about decade, two decades almost. Um, so there's a lot going on with that. And the question has always been, like, some people will ask, you know, why? That some people really know because they've dealt with things that are that are hard to navigate, whether it's working in um, working in potentially catastrophic situations or mass casualty incidents or working in healthcare where you have, um, you know, the potential for you know, uh, patients passing away or whether you're dealing with um, EMS and just the constant roller coaster or things like that. And then, of course, even safety management, we deal with the potential for injuries and exposures and all kinds of things like that. But um, on the whole, there's been a lot of other things that have come up with people that are having having challenges at work and, and supervisor struggles. And then that that led to the what they call the great resignation in the last several years where the pandemic kind of led people to think to themselves, you know, if this whole world is in upheaval right now, do I really want to keep going to this job? I hate, you know, you know, and so there's been a lot of that going on. Then you've got this whole concept of quiet quitting, which that's um, that's an interesting one in itself. So what I was going to ask first is, why do you think that these things have really become such a visible, you know, front and center hot topic in the last several years? And um, what, what do you think is um, is causing that to where employers are taking such drastic action to make sure that, that these things are looked at more closely? Um, Melanie, why don't we start with you? What, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, sure. I, you know, I truly believe that those things have kind of been elevated because of where we are now. Um, we started, of course, with a pandemic and people have been in their houses for, or people were in their houses for, um, what was that, a year, maybe a year and a half? I, I can't even remember. It's all a blur at this point. <laughs> but we were in our houses and kind of used to secluding with our own uh, families or sometimes just ourselves. And so in doing that, a lot of people took social media and um, just online forums and all kinds of places where they can anonymously type and, you know, respond to uh, uh uh, post or um, prompts or whatever the, the case may be, they can do it in a negative way without showing their face. And so then you bring that back to the workplace. People are still kind of high strung because, of course, folks are not wanting to return back to work. There's still plenty of people um, telecommuting or working from home. And um, when you return those folks to the workplace, you there is an adjustment period that comes with that. And there has to be a concerted effort from the from the management to do something that makes those employees more comfortable and want to be in the workplace and want to actually come in and, and do the job that they need to do. But I feel that um, everyone is just trying to find that new normal and what that looks like for them. Um, for me, that was my piece. <laughs> I just, I needed to have my own piece. And I think that um, there are others that, that probably feel that exact same thing, but may not have the avenue to do that. And um, I think it's incumbent upon the workplace to be able to find out 
how to create that piece for them. And and I will say that, you know, my former employer, they did an amazing job at creating opportunities for employees to, to connect online. They uh, connected and I don't think they did anything in person, but those they were every Wednesday, they would have some type of EAP, which is the Employee Assistance Program. It would be some type of EAP topic that would help people kind of come together and talk about the same topic. And it it was very cathartic to many people and it, it's really just um, taken off. So I'd love to see more things like that with other employers as well. But yeah, that, that is what I see as, um, as a reason why we, we are where we are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. That's it's it's almost like um, people have had to kind of like relearn how to communicate with each other and how to be around each other because mm-hmm. it's like because of the quarantine and things like that. The the um, I don't want to say social skills, but like um, it's almost like people got like I don't know it uh, maybe desensitize a good word like you said there's a lot of a lot of the virtual stuff has made it to where people are okay being a little more hostile right yeah mm-hmm. yeah the yeah. phenomenon and, um simone what do you think yeah you know i can definitely relate to what melanie's talking about um you know i can share my own personal experience i mean i remember the day when i got the phone call from all of my clients saying we don't want you to come back because uh, my field, I teach, I teach as seniors. Mm-hmm. So, um, so everything was shutting down. And I remember sitting down on my steps as I was getting voicemail after voicemail after voicemail <laughs> saying, don't come in. And I was like, what am I going to do with my business? Like, what is happening right now? And, um, and yeah, like I literally had to sit down and just take it in and be like, okay, there's nothing I can do to change the situation. I have no control over what's happening, but I do have control over how I interpret the situation. And so I, I initially, you know, how you interpret situations in the beginning versus the middle versus the end is going to be different. Um, in the beginning, I thought, well, okay, I'm going to take a break. I'm going to figure it out. And there was a time where I realized, okay, everybody's pivoting to online. Let's do that pivot. Um, and it was a, a lot more work, a, a big, you know, fast learning curve of how to teach and interact. And I think everybody went through that. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so, and, but in that process, we gained new skills. Um, you know, we learned how to do things that we hadn't done before. Um, and, you know, then there get, you know, comes a time where, you know, you kind of like hit a wall, you know, you're trying to be creative, trying to make the best out of a situation. And you keep coming, you keep come, trying to come up with new ideas and that all these ideas keep getting, you know, knocked down, you know, it's not doable because of the mm-hmm. extreme situation. And I remember there being times where I was just got let myself be frustrated and was just like, oh, this is so frustrating. Like I'm, I'm not finding a way around this obstacle. Um, and I'm used to being, you know, flexible and, you know, working my way around something. And this was just something that was unmovable. And, uh, you know, so, you know, that can, that kind of frustration, you know, can lead uh, to, all kinds of behavior that we don't know maybe wouldn't normally um, engage in Um, and 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 you know for instance before the pandemic I was a hugger I used to hug all of my students you know Mm -hmm. I, I loved engaging with them and then during the pandemic we moved to outdoor and you know social distancing and it was like I had to literally stop myself from hugging people because, you know, to, for, for everybody's safety. And um, and so that kind of like I had to 
I lost a sense of connection, you know, a way to express that connection. And, um, you know, and then, you know, you get used to being online and not having to leave your house. <laughs> and now they're like, okay, you can, you can go outside now. You can in engage with people. And you're like, well, I just got used to not doing that, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, now I have to change again. Um, and now I have, but how do I interact? Do I shake hands? Do I not like, you know, it feeling socially awkward, you know? <laughs> and, yeah. And, and, and also like losing friendships, you know, losing touch with certain people that I had in my life, a certain amount of support system, your world just suddenly gets really small. And that's a lot of loss. And, and you know, some people really, you know, they lost loved ones. Um, and but not only did they lose them maybe to the, you know, COVID-19, but maybe they just lost them because they stopped engaging for whatever reason. So. You know, I think we all, you know, it was a time of, of grieving and, you know, just we need to recognize that. And I think that's the I think because we were all going through it together. I think that's why as a as a nation and as a world, we were all going through that together. And I think that's why mental health became um, just globally acceptable because we as a human being, <laughs> as human beings, our humanity was going through something at the same time. And, yeah. uh, and so we, we recognize that as like, okay, yeah, our mental health is important. Um, our, you know, our sanity is important. And, you know, we need to look for help and guidance when, when we need it. It became very much more acceptable. It, it definitely yeah it, it it's it's really an interesting thing and i think it's interesting how both of y'all's perspectives kind of meet in the middle where we have this thing that happened where people were almost well not almost they were they were forced into this situation where they weren't able to congregate and and communicate and have that like interpersonal level communication that they were used to and so all of a sudden you had these these barriers whether it's distance or whether it's virtual versus real world or or whatnot and in one regard people had like like Simone you just said it people had to relearn how to how to get along you know how to, how to figure out how to get along with each other and then like Melanie like you were saying there is that when people are separated like that all the differences get kind of like enunciated and so it's like now people are trying to figure out how to talk to each other and at the same time they've now gotten a little bit more used to being okay with saying hurtful things or writing hurtful things or whatnot and people got to be able to be professional in the workplace at the same time so it's a it's a lot there um so that kind of brings to the next question so if you've got all this going on and now people have to people have to work. I, I, I shouldn't say everybody had to work. There are some people that are, you know, lucky to be independently wealthy, but the, a lot <laughs> of people have to go to work, you know. So regardless of whether there's a, you know, regardless of what's going on, we got to figure out how to, how to keep the bills paid. And yeah. so the workplace is now having to deal with this. So the workplace has got people that they can see their, you know, like, like Melanie, you said, people, are very vocal about, I don't want to come into the workplace anymore. You know, I'm now, mm -hmm. and now I'm accustomed to working at home and I want you to make that happen for me. Or you get people, they, you know, they go, well, now I'm used to not having to be around other people. So I don't know how to act around other people, you know, or whatnot. So do you think that that is something that the workplace should be addressing? Or do you think that that should be something that the workplace should just go well we're going to keep doing what we do and people are going to figure that part out for themselves and um, yeah. the thing where the, where the lines drawn as far as how the workplace engages with you know people's people's lifestyle so to speak um so let's start with you this time what, what do you think is mm -hmm. the the role of the workplace in all this yeah you know it's interesting something that came to mind is that yeah you know now that it was proven that 
we can be productive um, without having to go into the office. Um, you know, I think people definitely were like, well, can we be more flexible, you know, with working from home? And, and I think, you know, some industries and some companies have embraced it and, and said it made it okay. And I would say those that are probably more technologically oriented, but you know, in a hospital setting, you, you can't work from home mm -hmm. and, and, and be effective, right? And, and, and do and, and effectively help people. Um, you, you have to be there in, in, on site in person. So, um, and, and something else that came to mind is that um, I'm seeing a lot of young people who are coming into this industry and realizing that they can make a living just like sitting behind their desk or, um, you know, working out of a coffee shop or, you know, traveling all over the world, you know, and, and still working and they can be at in, in any location. Um, and I think that they like that freedom, you know, and I think that's what people, I think that's the whole like, um, working remotely gives people is, this sense of freedom, even though they're still tied to the technology, um, but they get to choose where <laughs> the location, uh, that sort of thing. In in some cases, um, you know, and and they can um, they've they've been able to embrace um, you know in engaging more online than in person. Um, but I think that there is something very unique um, about, you know, doing things in person. I think that really helps the communication. Um, you know, we are oriented for, uh, for facial recognition, you know, and we might not get all of that, all of that communication um, through technology. Um, and we might not get that whole messaging, you know, communication is about understanding the message, the meanings, right? And sometimes things can get lost in translation. Um, so the more that we can um, work together, uh, you know, as long as we're working together as a team, <laughs> um, you know, and, and also having those opportunities to work out our differences too. Um, and it can resolve a lot of many misunderstandings more, I think, more quickly and, and maintaining clarity um, and not letting things kind of fall through the cracks sort of thing. Mm -hmm. that's, that's my perspective. And definitely, yeah, it's, in, it's interesting there. You know, like you said, is if, if, that, if that resource of, you know, face-to-face, -face, you know, in, there's a lot of indicators that come from that, whether it's facial expressions or tone of voice or things of that nature. A lot of those things aren't there, you know, on email or um, mm -hmm. chat boxes or things like that. And so it, if you're someone who's always relied on that, you know, that ability to, to talk to people, it, it's quite a thing when that gets taken away instantly. Um, and the other thing that's interesting is we always joke about this almost I don't want to say joke about it, but we, we talk about it in kind of a lighthearted way is there's always been people in our careers that really don't like to document things like for whatever reason. I don't want to make it sound like they're trying to have an underhanded or anything, but, mm -hmm. you know, they always prefer, like, if you send them an email with a question, they'll call you on the telephone, but they won't mm. write you. And sometimes it's because, you know, they just don't want to type it out or whatever. There's a lot of reasons for it, I'm sure. but mm. um when it gets when people are kind of forced into that box where they have to type stuff out it's like it changes the game for them um then the other thing that's interesting i always say is like in, in the in the military it's interesting it's that in a lot of military training the instructors purposefully don't give you any feedback unless it's negative you know like they, they'll have this complete like stone facial expression they won't they won't ever give you a compliment or give you any kind of positive reinforcement it's just like nothing or they're going to tell you that you're terrible 
And so the point of that is to make to where you're mentally durable so that you can keep functioning even when everything is falling apart around you. You know, so there's kind of a purpose for that in the military is that they want you to survive if you're in combat and there's no positive reinforcement at all. Um, you know, especially in people, if someone trying to kill you. Um, so I always think about the same kind of way in the workplace. This is like, like, for example, if I teach a webinar and I start, I get my, I turn my mic on and I start talking and I get 20 minutes into my webinar and I realize that nobody on there has their camera on. So I can't see them at all. Nobody's talking to me. Nobody's putting anything in the chat box. So I, I have no idea if these people are on the other end of this webinar thinking like, wow, what an idiot. Like he doesn't know what he's talking about. Or if they're thinking, this is brilliant, your best webinar I've ever seen. So it's like my only option is either to keep going and hope for the best or to stop. You know, be like, I don't know what's going on. I'm going to stop, you know. So to your point, you know, that can that can play with people's heads a little bit. It's, it's quite an interesting thing. Um so I think if the workplace doesn't engage in that, then there's a potential they could end up with some pretty significant challenges, whether it's things aren't getting done or people aren't communicating or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. Kind of brings us into the HR world. Um, Melanie, what are your what are your thoughts on that as far as the the workplace role in resolving these things? They they absolutely have a role to play. Um, it's definitely never an easy conversation to have. A lot of times it turns into um, those, we call them interactive meetings. Um, They're protective meetings under ADA um, that could lead to some type of reasonable accommodation for them. So if, for example, they have some type of condition that requires that they have a special screen for their uh, computer, we can provide that to them. Or if there's like some type of foot rest that's needed so that, you know, your legs don't swell or whatever the issue might be. If it's reasonable, the, the workplace can accommodate that. But there, I think a lot of employees at this point are taking things like um, working from home and, and trying to find a way that they can reasonably accommodate <laughs> a, a work from home. And sometimes it may work and sometimes it, it's not such a reasonable accommodation for that particular employer. Um, there are some where you like uh, uh, Simone, you said you physically have to be in the office if you are a physician or a, a nurse or whatever that may be. You have to be there. But there may be other um, positions that your job is 100 percent on your computer and you can do that job from home. But if it's an undue hardship for the employer. Um, meaning the employer would have to spend an exorbitant amount of money to get you to where you need to be so that you can um, accurately work from home without causing a huge cost or anything like that, then, you know, uh, uh, then they'll do it. They'll, they'll go ahead and, and move forward with a, a reasonable accommodation of that, that nature. But um, it absolutely does have to be addressed by the workplace. Um, we can't let it go because if we let it go, then other employees are going to have the same conversations that we always know within HR, the employees are going to talk. That's the one thing that we know will happen. My phrase has always been people are going to people. People are going to people. <laughs> They're going to be people. They're going to do exactly what people do, which is talk and have feelings and express those feelings. And if we're not prepared up front with the rules, the policies and the procedures and the processes for how to get those things done, then we're caught flat-footed and then we end up in those legal situations that we never want to be in, right? So um, we have to do things like um, making sure that we have the communications available to the employees. just saying, hey, this is what our process is now. We know that we did it this way before, but it is changing. Have in-person meetings with them, not just sending it on an email, have the management talk to the employees, all levels of the management. Um, I know I have a, a, a <laughs> another thought on this uh, same question, but it, it's if you're if you're not communicating a, a consistent message from the C-suite all the way down to the bottom line or the E-suite, I've heard it different ways, C-suite or E-suite all the way down to the bottom line, then your culture, your workplace, your environment is not gonna be successful and they're not gonna be productive. So communication starts at the top and it does need to happen. We have to communicate and address mental health. It's so important. Definitely. 
yeah, it's definitely a lot of factors there, and and people are gonna react to them differently. You know, to your to your point, you know, some people they're just gonna kind of kind of talk about it with their peers or colleagues or whatnot, but some people they're gonna get frustrated and potentially upset. You know, and then you're gonna have you know the potential for uh, confrontations and all kinds of factors there. So the other part of this, of course, is that if there's a situation where things are rapidly changing and then you've also got these work expectations, you know, whether it's your, you know, your professional goals for the year on your performance plan or whether it's a project that's got to be done or whatever. So the supervisor is now responsible for guiding these these things to be produced, you know, these these achievements within these new constraints. Whether it's, you know, we got to complete this project, but you can't be in the room together, you know, or you got you got to mm. complete the project, but I know that, you know, obviously these people are are not not getting along or whatnot. So, um, Melanie, from the HR perspective, like I know you talked a little bit about the the Americans with Disabilities Act and the reasonable accommodations, and those are all very beneficial. So if there's a, a potential, you know, um, things aren't aligned, you know, you got that, that kind of proverbial square peg in the round hole kind of situation with an mm -hmm. employee and their employee or with the employee and the supervisor, what would you recommend on that from the HR perspective on how to, how to, how to start addressing that in a, in a, you know, in a positive, like helpful manner? You know, it, it really just depends on the situation, um, meaning for that particular individual, because a lot of times it really it depends on whether or not they're actually in the right job at the very basis of what's going on in that situation that needs to be understood. Are they in the right job? And that's one of the things that's discussed in that reasonable accommodation meeting, that um, uh, interactive meeting that occurs. Um, it, we are, we're asking whether or not the job duties that are um, assigned to that particular person, if that person can actually perform those jobs. And then the doctor then asks the same, you know, whether or not they're able to perform or the, doc, the doctor answers the same as whether or not they're able to perform those, those duties. And if they are, great. That means that we need to have another type of conversation. How are we measuring up against our performance? Are we doing what, because it, it depends on the employer that you're with, usually there's some type of annual evaluation. And if there's an annual evaluation, there has to be some type of metric for which you're measuring your job against, right? So we need to determine whether or not that metric is actually, if you're able to meet that metric for one, and if you're not able to meet it, what do we need to do to get you to where you need to be, right? So there's coaching along the way that needs to happen between that supervisor and the manager. And it, there, nobody ever wants to just, you know, say, oh, well, you can't do the job, so you're fired. Nobody wants that, that outcome. We all want the employee to be successful at the end of the day. But we also know that it's a two-way street, right? So the employee has to be able to or has to want to make the changes that are required for the job. If, for example, it comes back in the interactive meeting that, well, no, the doctor says that they can't do this work, then there are job searches that can happen within that employer to see, well, maybe there's another job within our organization that fits best for this particular employee. Um, there, there are opportunities there when you have a, a square peg in a round hole. Nobody wants to be, nobody wants to be unemployed. So um, we want to try and help as best as possible. But if we do end up going down that path to where we know that you know the job search is going to be unsuccessful, the employee is, you know, not being receptive to the changes of the environment, there are, there definitely are other options, the the bad options that we don't want to go down, but it, it does happen. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. It's a lot, a lot of variables. And I, I think that, that, that ADA um, reasonable accommodation process is, is just so important to your point, you know, is not only does that apply for, the the situation with 
you know, physical accommodations like, you know, a, a new chair or a, a keyboard tray or things of that. And those are obviously just arbitrary examples, but the, right. that also is just the same, you know, for job expectations. And we get that a lot in the safety world where people will, it might not be in their initial job posting, but then they'll realize, you know, oh, I'm in the respiratory protection program. You know, and then they go, well, it may be something simple, like I don't want to shave, you know, to put on a negative mm -hmm. pressure. Or it may be something much more complicated, like, you know, I can't breathe with this respirator on, you know, something very serious. And so, yeah, being able to, to find a way to work that out is in everybody's best interest, um, especially, you know, with these, I, at least in my experience, you know, I've, I've worked in, um, I can't count it in my head now. I think it's six organizations, um, but every one of them, it's been a major goal for them, you know, to be a employer of preference, you know, in the, in the community. So definitely want people to be, you know, have, have that mutual respect. Um, but that kind of brings us to the next thing. So we're talking here about, you know, the way these things tend to manifest and then the, um, the way the workplace looks at it. And then some of the ways that the workplace can partner with the employee to figure out a mutually beneficial solution. So this next question, of course, is people's workplace is some, sometimes compartmentalized. You know, people go, well, I go here for eight hours a day and I leave it there and I go home and I live my life. But then we have these situations now, whether it's pandemic or whether it's all these horrifying active shooter events that people are seeing on the news. We've got this opioid crisis, which I have a real problem with that because it's people tend to pigeonhole that and they say that the opioids are the same thing they're getting in the hospital, but they're very different. The stuff on the street is synthetic and it's toxic, horrible stuff. Um, whereas in the hospital, those are patients that need, you know, medicine. So I, I don't like the way those things are put together by the media or by the politicians, but all these things now are segueing from professional environments into the community and people are having to figure out like, where is the line drawn between all this terrible stuff that I see at work and now I'm going home and it's there waiting for me. So do you think that with mental health, do you think there's a connection between that as far as all these issues they are now like 360 degrees, they're just constantly there and people have got to figure out how to balance, you know, not only their work, which is potentially traumatic, but then, what goes on at home? Um, Simon, what do you think about that? Being that you you work in the community with a lot of different, a lot of different mm -hmm. partners. Yeah, yeah, I do engage with uh, a lot of different people on a regular basis. You know, through teaching Tai Chi and and people of of in all stages of life. Um, you know, young people, middle aged people, um, as well as the elderly community, um, and so. Um, you know, I think, let me see. Um, yeah, you know, there's, there's a lot of scary information out there and there are things that are, that are happening. And sometimes when it hits close to home, like it has here in Texas, um, you know, uh, it kind of, shakes you up a little bit and you start to see how I mean it's like seems like time and time again we're being um, shown how life can be fleeting you know um, one day somebody's alive and the next day they're not and or the, even in the next moment right and how things can change so quickly like in a day in a phone call um, and and that that starts to shake our sense of certainty, you know, and we need a certain amount of certainty uh, in order to function. Um, you know, and that goes into, you know, mental health right there. So if we are, um, you know, uncertain about our workplace, if we're uncertain about driving down the street, you know, uh, it makes every ordinary, you know, things that we can took, take for granted as ordinary, uh, it, it becomes um, a struggle, you know. 
uh, it's like we're just trying to get through the day, you know, like white knuckling it, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, and um, and so we have to balance that. And, um, you know, if if they can incorporate things in the workplace to, you know, give people five, 10, 15 minutes to, you know, meditate or do some sort of meditative movement um, or just, you know, get up, walk, go outside, you know, get some sunlight, um, get some fresh air. Um, It really can help people shift their perspective and say, well, on the one hand, yes, there are are some scary things in life uh, that I don't have control over, but, you know, if I can give myself what I need um, on a consistent and regular basis, then, um, then I can move through the world with less fear, less anxiety, and more certainty. Um, and I've seen it um, be you know, very successful in, in various different industries um, and with various um, you know, different communities as well. Um, and you know, just giving ourselves what we need, you know, um, to, maybe sometimes we need to shut the world out. We need to close our eyes, go inwards. Um, other times, maybe we need to engage with the world in a new and different way uh, because our our life has become too routine, too monotonous. You know, we don't feel like we're living, we're just existing kind of thing. Um, and when you give yourself what it is that you need, then, um, then you can move into a place that is more creative, more problem solving, um, more um, patient with um, disagreement, you know, and, um, and, and being able to hear what is really being said, you know, and not just kind of making up what you think is being said. Um, and, uh, and I think that makes for a more harmonious, you know, engagement with, with your teams, with your bosses, with the people that you work next to on a regular, on a, on a daily basis, you know. Um, and, you know, you being a part of that team, it's like, what are you contributing to that team? Um, and, and that takes some um, self-care, you know, so that you can contribute your best to your team. And if, and if, you know, if your team is all kind of burnt out, you don't have to be, you know, you can be that person who helps lift up other people up when they are feeling burnt out and, and sharing what's, what's working for you and what's, what's been helping you deal with the stress, you know, um, and so that you can, people who, who want to be lifted up can, you can offer that to them. Definitely. Yeah. It's, it, I, I kind of the thing that I was inferring is, you know, basically we, there, there's gotta be a level of empathy in there. You know, is if the, if the workplace doesn't acknowledge that people are affected by these things, then either number one is they're not going to get people that are fully committed and, and engaged and productive. But number two is they may have people that, that just quit, especially with the whole great resignation thing and the quiet quitting and people can just check out. And then, then you're, you're not, you're going to have a lapse in your ability to respond, especially for healthcare and, and first response. Um, and then vice versa, you know, is that if employees, um, if employees aren't, aren't proactive about it, then there's a chance that a, a traumatic situation at work could very well negatively impact their home life just the same. Um, we, we see that a lot with the military where people will come home from a deployment and it, it's hard to readjust, uh, especially if they've been in combat. Um, mm-hmm. So there's a lot of that. Uh, that. I think that empathy is important. Like I know that um, 
this is just an arbitrary example, but I remember I, I was actually going to University of Houston when 9-11 happened. I was mm-hmm. in, starting my last year there, and I remember that happened in the morning, and then we had classes that morning. And so I went ahead and drove to school, and I walked in the class, and the professor said, you know what? He said, I'm not even going to act like we're going to learn anything today. He's like, just process what's going on. He said, there's a pretty significant chance we're about, as a country, we're about to go to war. He's like, just, you know, y'all are all grown people. Just take your time with that. You know, I'm not going to expect you to, to learn things right now. Um, so I, 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 I appreciated that, you know, his, the empathy that he knew that this just affected history. You know, everybody's life was now different. And mm-hmm. so it would have been foolish for them not to acknowledge that, you know, um, and that applies every day in healthcare. You know, if you got people that, if they, if they think that the healthcare workers aren't impacted by, uh, you know, these situations that whether it be disease exposure, workplace violence, even somebody tearing up their back, trying to lift a patient, you know, there's, there's a lot to that, that and they've got to recognize the impact. Um, Melanie, what are your thoughts as far as the, the relationship between the workplace and, and society at large and, and how the two affect each other? What do you think? Yeah, they they absolutely do affect each other. And, and your professor was just that he was very, very empathetic. And you don't see that a lot. Um, but he was also personally affected by it, right? Because it affected all of us. And and I think when things like this happened, when 9-11 happened, when the pandemic happened, um, the elections, when they happened <laughs> on either <laughs> side, <laughs> they all have some type of traumatic effect on us, right? So we have to be aware of that when we come into the workplace and people have their opinions one way or the other. We just have to realize, well, we're here to get a job done. This is specifically what we're here for. And we can't bring some of the other stuff into it. But we also have to realize, okay, maybe we need to take a step back, right? And just take a look at things and see whether or not this is where we want to be. Um, I was reading an article by Johnny C. Taylor. He is a the CEO of the Society for Human Resources Management. And a statement that he made, he said, we're, we already hire people with mental health issues. And he said, nearly one in four workers express feeling down, depressed, or hopeless. Not sometimes, but often. And then more than four in 10 employees say that they feel burned out, drained, or exhausted from work. And so if it's work that's causing four in 10 employees to feel drained and exhausted and burnt out, then work has a responsibility, right, to help do something, put something in front of these employees to help them feel like we care that they're actually there. These are people just like you and me, right? These are people, they come in, they have jobs to do, they have families, they have may even have side jobs or side hustles or whatever you want to call them, but they're trying to uphold their households, make everything run as smoothly as possible. Um, We have a responsibility to initiate programs and have those conversations to create the space for people to have those conversations on their own because they're already happening in our everyday lives. We're going home having these conversations with family members, you know, such and such didn't clean the kitchen and there is another coworker, I guarantee you, that is having that same issue. (laughs) So if the space is created in the workplace for people to have those conversations, you create those relationships and you create those bonds that you have over time. And eventually, yeah, you may not be the best of friends, but you are able to work together because you know how the two of you work. Well, such and such is a neat freak. So we know (laughs) that we can't have our our table, you know, with all kinds of pens and pencils and papers all over the place. So we're going to make sure that we organize this just to make sure that they're comfortable. Sometimes people are empathetic that way, right? So it's just, we, we want to do things that we can to make sure that whether, if there are situations that, you know, can be easily resolved, they can resolve those easily. Those workplace conflicts, they don't happen as often because they built the relationships. They know the people that they're working with and they're comfortable with them and they can easily come to them and say, hey, this is what's going on in my life, what's going on in your life. And I have to add something, you know, 
I, I recently started a new employer and I don't know the philosophy on this whole thing, but they um, bought up something called appreciative inquiry. And what it does is, is it starts conversation with anyone about anything. And it takes you on these tangents to where you're eventually making co connections. On my very first day with this employer, they um, had a project, it wasn't a project, it was an assignment essentially where you get with someone you don't know and you just ask them, you know, one of the basic questions. Well, where did you work? Where did you come from? Where, you know, just some of the, the basic um, biographic questions. And you follow that up with just a natural question, with whatever it is that you're inquiring in your mind that, that of course is not inappropriate or anything like that, but it leads to conversation and it leads to connection. So the person that I was working with, we found out we had mutual connections at our employer. We found out she actually used to work for that employer. <laughs> I mean, it's, just, it's making those connections and having those conversations that can, you know, cause you to have some type of feelings toward other people. So when conflicts come up, you're able to say, hey, I know this person. I know how they work. I can I can have this conversation with them without, you know, it being a negative situation. Yeah, I, I, you know, I have something to add here. Um, you know, what Corey was talking about and what you're talking about, Melanie, is, you know, it's like the, you know, if we deny, you know, and, and companies are, are, are like, just like people because they're made of people. Um, right. It's like if we deny that there's an issue, well, what's going to happen? That issue is just going to get worse. You know, mm -hmm. it's not going to get better by denying that it's uh, its existence or that it's happening. But we can acknowledge what's happening. And if we acknowledge what's ha once we acknowledge what's happening, then we can move forward with it. You know, it's we don't have um, we don't have to just ignore something and deny it and just keep moving forward like we're not human beings. You know, right. we can we can address issues and recognize our humanity and and also recognize that we can also move forward and we can grow from these situations um and look for solutions and um you know we have that creative ability within us you know to to move to move forward you know without losing our humanity you know that's right yeah <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, it's uh, like like Melanie said, you know, pe pe people are, what'd you say, people are going to people. Yeah, that's people a, are going to people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, that's a reality. You know, we definitely want to, we want to be able to optimize the peopling, you know, so um, that, yeah, there's there's a lot of, a lot going on, more more every day. So that, that's all fantastic input and, you know, definitely both have done done a lot in your in your both both your pursuits um but i know y'all are both very busy and um about to about to go into the weekend and then we got memorial day coming up so i hope everybody has a, a fantastic holiday um so i won't keep a keep you on here any longer but um we, we certainly appreciate you both being on here and and always your your fantastic input and, and perspectives so for everybody on the line um or everybody everybody listening if you haven't seen it already remember the the podcasts are both archived so they're on uh anchor.fm slash aohp which is the aohp podcast and then the assp health beat is at anchor.fm backslash assp dash hcps dash health beat and they're all the episodes are on there. There's 46 episodes. So this is number 47 today. And um, we'll call this the start of season three, if you want to go in like Netflix language. Um, and so we're coming out of a little little hiatus that was entirely my fault. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, so anyway, um, be on the lookout. We got, we got um, webinars coming up. For both organizations we got the conference for assp in june it's actually like next week it's in san antonio um june uh 5th through 7th i'm actually teaching a, a pre-conference workshop on june 3rd if, if that's of interest to you 
it's on culture change. And then um, AOHP is in September in Savannah, Georgia. So a lot of great things going on there. A lot of great speakers, a lot of great workshops and all kinds of fantastic uh, networking. Otherwise, uh, there's always constant things going on throughout the year. There's uh, open calls, there's webinars, there's podcasts, all kinds of stuff. So check that out. There's CEs for all of it, so you can get some professional development credits. And then we're gonna we're gonna keep things going the best we can. If you're interested in getting involved with any of the advisory boards, please feel free to send us a note. Uh, you can find us on the you know on the AOHP or the ASSP websites, and we'll be happy to get you in touch with the right people. With, with all that being said, um, we'll go ahead and wrap it up today, and um, we'll catch everybody real soon. Um, Melanie and Simone, we, we appreciate y'all being here as always. Definitely fantastic. Does anybody have any any last last thing you want to ask before we, before we tie it up? Thank you so much for the invite. This was an amazing discussion, and I'm definitely going to carry this forward into um, everything that I do from here forward. Simone, your your wisdom was. Um, it was definitely it, it's put an impact on me and Corey thank you so much yeah thank you both thank you Corey for inviting me and thank you Melanie for sharing your expertise as well um I I also learned something from you as well um and thank you Corey for, for hosting us certainly I appreciate y'all doing it it's uh it's definitely um it's interesting, you know, there's um, as many, as kind of ubiquitous have, as podcasts have become, the, and I don't mean this is a bad thing at all, but there's there's still, you know, um, there, there a lot of people have kind of like concerns about, do I really want to be recorded on a podcast? So we certainly appreciate y'all doing it. You're, you're definitely very va valuable to, uh, to all of our members and listeners, and um, they, they're definitely a lot to learn from y'all's from y'all's work and your your input so um but yeah we'll let you get on to your weekend um if anybody has has a veteran in your life please tell them thank you for their service if anybody has lost a veteran then um you know definitely god bless them for their service and um that's what memorial day is all about so please remember that it's not about barbecues and parties uh it's, it's about all the veterans that we lost in all the wars since the country was founded. So we'll go ahead and wrap it up and um, we'll talk to everybody real soon. Thank you. Have a fantastic day.